0: you can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Um, On this show, we interview individuals who have battled adversity and have a story of hope and victory. Um, We've done a lot of uh, recovering addicts. We've also done Holocaust survivors. People who have been wrongfully convicted of murders, all sorts of things. And today I have Renee B here. I just want to say thank you for all you've done with you know URP and the company and everything like that. I don't know your story. I just like heard of it. You know, <laughs> I've heard the screaming and yelling throughout the treatment center. And you know what? Like uh, like we were just talking earlier that there are certain people that make what we do on a daily basis different than other places. And I feel that there's very in- few individuals that can reach people that are unreachable. You know, for me, like, I needed someone to tell me their story rough and raw. I needed someone to tell me to sit down and shut up. I needed someone to not bullshit me. Like, I needed to hear the message, and I didn't need it wrapped up in sugar. You know, I just wanted someone to tell me what time it was, and um, my sponsor was really rough with me when I got clean. He did not care how old I was. He didn't care about my past. He wasn't trying to be nice. He wasn't trying to be my friend. He just Dude. wanted you to work. Yeah. When I say jump, you say how high. If <laughs> yeah. I ask you to shit, you say what <laughs> color. color. <laughs> yeah. So he was like a real hardcore uh, 12 step, go to meetings, work the steps or die motherfucker type of guy. I feel that recovery's gotten a little away from that. And people say things like, oh, well, maybe if the old timers in recovery were nicer to each other, they'd still be around. But at the same time, I feel like there needs to be that balance, and there's still that need for people that need an uncut, raw message.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's the way it was given to me. I've been out of treatment facilities for years, state-run facilities, mm-hmm. nothing like URP, that's yeah, for yeah. sure. It's crazy because you couldn't tell me what I was doing wrong. I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. I went against the grain, and I believe it started in my childhood. I was mentally and emotionally depleted at the age of 18. You know, as a child, a little girl. Where would you grow up? I grew up in Miramar, Florida. Okay. I was born in Yonkers, New York
2: mm-hmm.
1: in 65, and I moved to Florida between 70 and 71. My mother bought a home with my father— I was five, I went to AC Perry, and lived in Miramar till my teenage years. And some of what I'm sharing now is in hindsight of what I learned on my journey of recovery. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really crazy because-
0: Yeah, that- I was talking to you, like, we don't know it's trauma when it's going on. No. It's just normal. Yeah. Right,
1: It's that's all you know. Mm-hmm. I was daddy's little girl. I loved my dad.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. We watched football games together. I was always on his lap. We had a nice little home um, in Miramar with a pool, family gatherings. My father and mother was born and raised in New York. I know my mother was Yonkers, New York. I'm pretty sure my dad was Mm -hmm. in Yonkers. But as a little girl, I can remember the ages from six to nine. or Some things just didn't feel right. I went with it. Um, we moved from Miramar to Cooper City mm-hmm. off 100th Avenue yep. in Cooper Village. And I went to middle school there. Pioneer Middle.
0: That's so crazy because I went to... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so funny that we're from the same area.
1: <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, We're so big, but when you get to sit and talk to people, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, I'm right there. Mm -hmm. So this is where I believe my shift mentally and physically and emotional started. My father, in hindsight, now that I know, was a raging person who was an alcoholic and an addict. But as a teenager, he was my dad. He used to beat my mother, rape my mother, and I think I was 13, Mm -hmm. where I would wake up. My father wasn't there. During the day, my father wasn't there, and I remember my mom telling me, well, your dad's at work. He'll be home Wednesday night, and my dad was in our home. This was actually also in Miramar, but... In Cooper City, he would come home from Wednesday night and leave Sunday morning. So Friday and Saturday night is when I would wake up to my mom yelling, screaming, and crying. Me and my sister shared a bedroom. So I have four siblings. I am the baby, my oldest brother, Jimmy, my sister, Ray, and my brother, Michael, and myself. My father was very abusive, mentally, emotional. I'm physical to my brothers as well as to my mother. I remember one night um, I was in bed and I heard our bedroom door open and I heard my father whip my sister. And I remember him saying, shush. I remember him saying, don't say nothing. And I remember her crying. And I was up and I was facing the wall and I remember relieving myself. Trembling to where I kept saying to myself, why doesn't he just leave? Through that time, I was so scared. I didn't know. And I remember some of the times where my father would, would touch me. But I thought it was in a loving, caring way as a father. Like I said, my life was a wreck as a child. I didn't know what, what was right, what was wrong. My sister eventually ran away. And of course, she was.
0: To escape. Him. To
1: escape my dad. Mm-hmm. And then it started happening to me. And him telling me, don't tell your mother. These are things you're going to need to know when you grow up and be a woman. I remember my sister came back home. And I came home from school. Now, I'm not good with dates and years. I remember coming home from school or coming in from playing because my mother was home. It was during the afternoon. And as I come running through the house, my sister was on the floor and my mother was standing over her and she was crying and I stopped mid-flight. And my mother looked at me and she says, is this true? I'm like, what? I didn't do it. And she said, is your dad touching you? Wow. And I made a pact with my sister prior Because she wanted to say something to mom. And I said, yeah, if you say something, I'll tell the truth. I'll tell her he's doing it to the both of us. At that moment, I froze and I said no. So it looked like my sister was-
0: Making stuff up.
1: Making stories.
0: Wow. And then your sister felt betrayed.
1: By me. Mm -hmm. And she fought her demons um, for many years. She, on PCP, Quaaludes, um, Percocets, uh, she was always out. She was just doing horrible things, getting arrested and whatnot. We did not have a good relationship after that, her and I. I remember telling my brothers they need to protect their mother. You need to protect mom. Mm -hmm. You know, he can't be coming in on the weekends, you know, drunk and... Because at this time, now I know he's drinking. And doing this to our mom, you know, he's never here and da-da-da-da-da. They were scared of him because he would physically beat them. I never got that. I never got beat. But I got molested. Being that person in it, feeling that there was something wrong, but didn't know how to go about it, because I loved my dad. You know, I was... A tomboy growing up, he raced cars. We always went to Hollywood Speedo. He had a, you know, a um, stock car, he had a Camaro 69. You know, we were always at the races. I mean, that was a good life. It's very
0: strange when love and hate exist at the same time. It's
1: crazy. Because I loved my dad, and I didn't want to be that person to damage her and him. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, there was really no hate. Her and him, meaning my mom and my dad, because working on the journey that I've been on for nine and a half years, since 2012, I have asked questions. Back in Cooper City, when I would have my girlfriends over, you know, my dad was inappropriate. I didn't care because it wasn't happening to me.
2: Hmm.
1: There was times where my mom would so my mom worked at the courthouse. She was a court stenographer. And she would do weekend jobs in Key West, you know, as a stenographer, and she'd be gone for a week or she went to visit her her parents in New York, whatever. I think there was a time where she went away and we were all at the house. My dad had a party and he told us to invite our friends and there was cocaine. Um, I'm 16. mm mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Finding out he was hitting on my girlfriends for sexual pleasure, for drugs, for cocaine. I was really good friends with my neighbor two doors down who was struggling with his own identity sexually and my father hired him to have the house clean and the pool clean and all of that from the weekend party before my mother came home. And my dad would give drugs and money. And, you know, through that time is when I found out that I had a brother. Because my oldest brother, Jimmy, would hang out with my dad at the shop. And he ran into some kid and they started fighting and said, I'm going to get my dad. My dad's going to beat your dad's ass and da, 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 da. And they wow. both ran into the same, same shop. Wow. And that's when my oldest brother, Jimmy, found out he had a stepbrother.
0: Wow. So they, your dad was playing two families. My mom was the mistress. Jesus.
1: My dad had a whole nother family. That's in why David. he was
0: only there when, wow, in the same town, get the, yes. basically. <laughs>
1: Yes. He had a wife who he was married to.
0: Jesus.
1: And my stepbrother.
0: And you had no idea? No clue. Even until you were 16? Yes. Get the fuck out of
1: here. I'm serious. So I found out later. My brother found out when I was like 16. Mm-hmm. And he didn't tell anything, but he, my brother struggles with addiction too. Mm-hmm. Um, He's clean now, six years. Wow. He's in the other fellowship. I don't care what fellowship it is, Is it going to save your ass, go to it. But mm-hmm. there was a party that my dad threw, Conquistador Apartments, that he got an apartment from my brother, and he had a party. It was a key little party. I invited some girls. My brother was there. My father was there. Some people were there. I remember this guy ODing, foaming from the mouth. And we pulled him by his ankles, and took him three doors down. Called nine one one. And went back to partying. Hmm. This party lasted a week. I remember finding my dad's Smith and Wesson, three fifty seven, and I'm sixteen. And I remember clearing the bullets from the barrel putting one in it and spinning it. This was my darkest moment because my father, the night before, forced me to have sex with my brother Uh for his own personal gain. And I took this gun and I held it to my head. My dad was in the living room of this apartment my brother was passed out in the other bedroom. And I put it to my head, and I said to myself, I can go this way, or I can continue this life. And I turned it away from me, and I held it up in the ceiling, and I pulled the trigger, and it went off. Hmm. And it blew a huge hole in the AC vent.
0: Yeah, 357's, no joke.
1: No joke. And all of a sudden, you hear my dad, Yell my name, my brother, Renee, Renee. And they both come running in, and I was in a state of shock. I was shaking. I threw the gun down. My mother would come to this apartment and beg my father to let me go. She didn't need to be in this. And I used to fight with my mom. He's my dad, I'm staying. Hmm. It was insane. My father told me, As a 16, 17-year-old now, probably 17, if I knew how to work what I had between my legs, I would get anything I wanted. When I turned 18, my father got arrested for a crime that he committed when he was 18 in New York, killing someone.
0: So he got arrested, gotcha. So that's why I didn't understand earlier when you are telling me. So he was older when he got arrested, but it was a crime that he had done when he was 18.
1: Statute of limitations for yeah. murder, right? Mm-hmm. There's no There's statute, no statute of right. limitations for murder. Yeah. Matter of fact, when he was 18, him and his buddy were collectors because they wanted to be in the so-called mob. Mm-hmm. This is the story I was told. They went to go collect some money. Their boss told him, if he doesn't have my money, you hurt him. Beat him up. Well, somebody, I don't know if it it was my dad. Right. Took it too far. And 25 years later, they found my dad here in Davie, Western Davie, Mm. because he ran into the chief that retired from- New York. New York, that retired to Florida, ran into my father at Lindsay Lumber. I said, now I know where you are. They opened up the case. He got convicted for 25 to life. Well, he got convicted and did the time. And I was 18. Hmm. And um, I knew I was addicted to cocaine. But now my supplier is gone. But the man who's been touching me for years is also gone. gone. My mother... I could have sworn I was so angry with her. How could you not know? I remember being in treatment. She sent me away to treatment. Wilton Manners Spectrum, a year program. I had like 11 months and I went out with a buddy for the day and she did not live in a good neighborhood and it was over after that. How old were you? Maybe 18, 19. First treatment center. Yes. My mother helped me get to. I had a lot of anger towards my mom because now my dad is gone. I have nothing. You know, I was working odd jobs, waitressing. My immediate thing to do was get involved with a man, get in a relationship with an older man who can support me. Just before I turned 18, I moved in with him. Mm. He was 28, had his own home. His family was wealthy, racehorses. He was a realtor. Stayed with him for a few years, maybe five years. And he couldn't handle my sporadic outbursts, using and catching me cheating. And he put a ring on my finger and gave it back, I'm like, he went his way, I went my way, we stayed together for a while, years, actually. We moved from a few places, we moved to Sun Point Cove, um, over there off of Nova and University. In and out of jail, county jail, I can't count how many times. I must have went to Spectrum at least 10 times. I had some amazing people that helped me along the way. But my biggest demon was my sexual trauma. My biggest demon was continuing to have sexual pleasures with my brother when my father got locked up. Because when I would go out, i sold my body for money I used to get beat up, or I didn't get my drugs, or I didn't get my money. And, you know, I don't know how it came about. My brother came to visit, and I'm like, yo, he was still using, and we got together, you know, and he paid me, and he didn't get beat up. And Hmm. because he used to pick up women off the street, and either their pimps would come and beat him up and take his money or vice versa, whatever case may be. I mean, we did it a handful of times mm-hmm. because I knew he had money and I knew I wanted to get high. I, You know, along this journey, I got married. I had two kids. I was pregnant with my second when my husband found me in a in a crack house off of Sheridan in 95. Called the cops and had me raided. Mm. I came in the home. He was standing outside with my one-year-old son. We lived in Emerald Green's apartments. I was like, I can't do this. Got married in 91. I married him because I was just infatuated with him. He (laughs) was Coast Guard and whatnot.
0: When did the transition from coke to crack happen?
1: My sister, before she passed, was struck by a hit-and-run driver. She was like 30. I don't know. She turned me on to it. We worked it together in a cabinet shop off of uh, Shotgun Road um, by the airport, that road. Um, There was a cabinet shop over there, and I had a vehicle because I was still with this guy, this older man, and uh, I remember going out and cashing our checks, and she's like, hey, can you take me over here? I'm like, sure, and she was in this room forever, and I was sitting with some guy, and we were just shooting the breeze, and he was smoking a joint and she was in this room and i'm like come on let's go it's like hey man you got to try this and i'm mm-hmm. like what the fuck is that it's like just try it and i remember trying it and i got this massive migraine <laughs> i'm like what the fuck is that it's like it's cocaine it's it's base it's well they call it crack and i'm like yeah that's not for me i took her home i went back to the guy i was with living with and Next day, I showed up to work, and she's like, hey, can you take me over so own? So I tried it again, and I was off the races. So it was probably, I've been doing crack for, well, not no more, but um, 20 years. Hmm. I've been doing crack for a long time. So I had two children along the way, um, got divorced, because um, I was... You know, my husband found syringes, became an IV user, coke and water, um, my jets or heroin, and a DUI. I've never got a DUI. <laughs> I showed up many times. But um, when I was pregnant with my first son, I craved crack. Then I went into treatment at the end of my pregnancy. I didn't stay high MIA. my and a use crack. My son tested positive when he was born. My son Brandon. And two years later, I had my son Alex. And mind you, in and out of jail, county jail, in and out of facilities. My husband didn't know what to do. My mother didn't know what to do. But when I got arrested, got raided, and I was pregnant with my second, that's when the courts ordered me into um, some parenting classes, some prenatal uh, drug addiction classes and all of that stuff. And through the grace of God, my second son was good. He tested negative for everything. But um, DCF was part of my life for a while. Yeah. I was good when I was monitored. Or when I had to be on structured mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Um, I was good.
0: I'm always good on supervision. <laughs> Supervised? I'm like a model
1: citizen. Cool, yeah. Right? I oh, no. um, It's crazy because I've been on probation, off probation, violated probation. My criminal background, I had to get for a job. And I swore I wasn't getting this job. <laughs> but I was committed to follow through what was asked of me. And that was early in my recovery. And I just said, here you go, sir. I probably won't get the job, but it was nice meeting you. And he's like, hold up. What's the problem? (laughs) It's like 40 pages thick. (laughs) He's like, you're kidding me. And I felt that judgment from someone. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hold up. You're exactly what we needed, which floored me. But after having my kids, let me go back. um, Having my kids... You know, you'd think having kids, normal person would.
0: The light bulb goes off. Yeah. You would
1: think. Um, it didn't for me. My brother had passed away. My brother was the father figure for both my boys because my husband divorced me. I moved back in with my mom. I was MIA. If it wasn't in jail, it was out there using. My mom bought a house in a plantation over by Heritage in Fig Tree Park for me and my kids to live. Good schools, you know, hoping that would give me a shift, a change. Mm -hmm. No. Because I never resolves my past trauma.
0: And when you would go to these treatment centers, would you ever talk about the trauma?
1: I was was just going to get to that. Mm -hmm. No.
0: You'd always just say no, I had a I only, normal childhood.
1: Yep. I had a good family. You know, I never shared that. You think a
0: part of you believed that? Or you knew you were just straight lying through your teeth?
1: I was lying through my teeth. Yeah. You know, my mom through treatment found out. Because there's some things when I was in treatment, when there was family sessions mm-hmm. that I disclosed. Because I had this feeling from her like you should just be able to stop. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I was lashing back like, you think so? This, this, and this happened with the man you married.
0: And you probably never even tried to stop it or investigate. You kind of turned a blind eye and now it's an issue.
1: Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was floored. She actually got sick there in the session Mm -hmm. and was basically mortified like, I asked you and your sister, you told me no. So a lot of the things that she thought my sister was, was not the truth
2: mm-hmm. because
1: of some of my actions that I didn't tell the truth with, or some of the things as a little girl that I blamed on my sister because she was already the outcast. You yeah, know? might as well. Might as well just keep throwing it in her direction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't get over the mental destruction that I was allowing that past to put me in. I never had that first kiss. I never had that first sexual encounter with a boy or a man. That was taken away from me. That mental trauma, those videotapes playing, when you have this person that you're supposed to love, that's supposed to protect you, I was crushed. And when I let it out in that session, I was off. Mm -hmm. I was off to the races because now... I'm ashamed. I have all this guilt that I should have said something years ago, and then I bombard her. I was so angry with her. Just get over it. Just stop. This is why I continue to do what I do. I've had some really good people and amazing therapy through the years where I would give you just enough because I needed to, you know. Feel
0: like I did something.
1: Something or an understanding especially my dad, and especially that cat was out of the bag now, mm-hmm. you know. My mom started to understand a little bit. She came to visit me at Spectrum. I went to the one uh, after Wilton Manners. I went to the one off Atlantic and something. And, you know, I, I just worked an, a little bit to, you know, ease my mental state. But the minute I got out, there was no structure. There was no accountability.
0: I'm sure they would suggest halfway house, IOP, stuff I like that. I went
1: to halfway mm-hmm. and I didn't come back or I came back late. I jumped the fence. I went Whatever. to a. There was nothing. Stepping there. stones. Mm-hmm. I went through stepping stones a couple times. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to feel that pain. It was bad enough that I had to visualize this man for all that he's done, not just to me, but to my sister. To my mother, to my brothers. Mm -hmm. My brother struggles. He needs his father's acceptance. We get in a constant, just Easter Sunday, we got an argument because he'll go fly to New York to visit his father. For fucking what? This man did nothing but abuse this family when he cherished the marriage that he had and that child. Uh. Fuck these four. Let me take care of this. My mother struggled for years. You know, one of my therapists says, Renee, you know, you're blaming your mom for not recognizing that since her abuse stopped, that she should automatically think he was coming to your room. This was a woman who thought this man would never hurt her children in any way. And I had to take a look at that. She was just trying to provide for four children on her own, keep a roof over their head, keep them in school, food in their mouth, you know, stuff like that. I was just sharing today. My mom's about five two and weighs 115 pounds. She's a fucking beast. She raised four of her own. She buried two. Hmm. Then she raised my two till they were teenagers. Because I was in and out. I've been to state prison twice. Forging lottery tickets for my, was my first stint. You would forge lottery tickets back in the day. Wow. <laughs> yes, I used to cut and go cash them before they had the readers. What do
0: you do? What would you? You cut it out and then.
1: Oh my God! There was such a. It's a whole story. It's a whole forging whole story, thing. man. You know. Yeah, I was good at it. I was good at it. How much would you say you won? Oh These man, I cash, I did fifty dollars, hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. anything over a thousand bucks, you had to go to the place. Yeah. Um yeah. That, that, I never heard that of that. supported That's my habit. I'd sit at the table with a, a friggin' a, um, razor knife mm-hmm. and I had to make sure the backings were the same with the squealy lines, same mm-hmm. color, and just cut and just paste. It was crazy. But I violated probation, I think, five times for that charge. My first stint was in Chattahoochee, Florida. got a year and a day. And that's where my sexual identity shifted. Because I didn't like men because of what my father did and what I had to do when my father was away to get my drugs. So I was attached to women. I've had relationships with women. Not only in my act of addiction, if there was a party with men and women, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, it's crazy because I didn't discriminate. I don't discriminate here. We're all equal. But um, my second stint was in um, Gaston. Did 16 months for dealing in stolen property. I should have got a lot longer. Because it was like my third charge of stealing and stolen property. My mom had shifted from state court to federal court. And she got to know some people. I won't mention his name. And he walked in and I remember the judge going, what do we have the pleasure of having you in state court? You should be in the other court. Nope, this is my client. Public defender's looking at him. I'm looking at him. Because your
0: mom's been working in the courthouse
1: in the federal Mm -hmm. courthouse unbeknownst to me they had a conversation his son was struggling with addiction and was going to kill himself Mm -hmm. and that's how they confided in each other like my daughter's going through the same thing she's I know it's so powerful when
0: um, families, like I always tell family, like, go to Al-Anon, go to Nar-Anon because they think that they're in this alone and there's they no do. one out there and, and they're, they don't wanna talk about it and they got all this shame that they're the reason why their son or daughter is using. And there's a whole world of people who have gotten through it, learned how not to enable, not to take things personally, set healthy boundaries, And there's meetings out there that are free. And I thought it was like a meeting that you would go to a couple times. Then that's it. It's a 12-step program. It's a 12-step program.
1: My my mom would, you know, she was suggested that through therapy when we were doing counseling. Now she's got the problem. I don't. That's when my mom was really ignorant to it
0: until things shifted. My dad was the same way. He wasn't. He was like, what do I need? I don't need anything. Right, it's fuck. not my problem, yeah. it's hers. He's, he's the one that fucking right. is on drugs. <laughs> Point that shit that way. Yeah.
1: You know, my mom, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, this guy shows up and he rambled off some stuff to the judge and the state was fighting for more. And judge says, nope, he came from federal courthouse, to state courthouse, I believe every word he says, and he put the gavel wow. down and I went away for 16 months.
0: What was prison like? You know, I always, you know, ask just because you can go to 20 different prisons and have 20 different experiences. Listen, no.
1: any prison it's these state room facilities in the county stints was cake for me. You call me suck up all you want. Mm-hmm. I was nice to the guards. Yeah. Because as long as I was kissing ass, I wasn't getting watched. And I learned that you, say you,
0: you do good under supervision. I
1: do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was the one with three rolls of toilet paper. You only had a half a roll, you mm-hmm. know, stupid shit. But it wasn't until um, 2010. Now, mind you, my mother has raised my kids. I'm in and out. Um, she's in plantation in a big house. My kids are going to school. They're acting out. I'm in and out of treatment, this and that, and so so
0: people get a, a picture of the story. So this is,
1: how old are you in
0: 2010?
1: I am 45 years old. Two, 44, 45.
0: In 2010?
1: 2010.
0: So in 2010, you've been using crack, hardcore, in and out of treatment, nonstop, 37 years. for 37 years.
1: Mm-hmm. In and out of the rooms for 25,
0: 27. And when you would go to meetings, I mean, did you? I- you just thought it was a... Not for you, not interested. My mother would
1: take me to these meetings. I would go in the front door, have somebody meet me at the back door. Cop. Cop. Go in and go out with the group of people so my mother would think. But my mother always knew by the sound of my voice that I was under the influence. My
0: mom can tell through text messages. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because you're not you're, you're not the norm. Same.
0: and your mother knows you. My mom could tell the minute oh I God. I walked through the door. She could tell through the phone my voice. The voice. She knew in, the look in my eyes. Nope. She would tell. She could tell that Something I, fucked right. I fucked up. I fucked up. She never. My dad would be like drug test them. She would be like, I know my son. Because <laughs> sometimes I'd fake the drug test so they'd be clean, yeah. and she was like, I don't need to drug test them. I know when my He's son hot. uses. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: My mom was the same way. She mm-hmm. could peg it, you know, um, the phone call, or she'll just look at you. Something ain't right. And she'd walk away. And by my actions, I created her mm. reaction. Anytime I walk through the house, she scatter, grab her keys, grab her purse, and go hide them somewhere or put it out in her car or lock it up in her bedroom um, I stole everything of value from her. You know, I remember my kids and I lived in plantation. I went up from the garage attic with a lighter getting all the way to the other side of the house, dropped into her office. It was a closet office. To steal the keys. To steal money. Yeah. My kids' money, her money, keys. Remember, we had Thanksgiving. Everybody locked their purses up there. Since I'm already in my head like, fuck this, they don't want me around. I went up, stole out of purses, came back up.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm out. I used to pack up plates for the guys that I used to cop from for Thanksgiving. Wow. And give them food.
0: I, I did that to a drug dealer before.
1: I saw it. I saw it <laughs> because I had to comment on it. Yeah. So 2010- I'm in the midst of hell. I got the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, and the remorse, and, you know, my father, and shit that's going on with my brother, and I couldn't hold a job. You know, my head is all over the place going, you're nothing but a piece of shit. You don't deserve to see your children. You don't deserve the mother you have. Be better off not to be here. So I was approached. I was pretty much uh, recruited with a team of six to go to state to state, Alabama, Illinois. Kite and checks. I was getting high every day.
0: What do you mean kite and checks?
1: So we had a couple people who would. Break into cars, mm-hmm. at like gyms, daycare centers, looking for checks, looking for purses or wallets, mm-hmm. and then they would get
0: traveler checks, right?
1: They would get personal checks. They would get credit card. Every woman will keep their social security card on them, <laughs> their ID, and their checkbook. Guys would keep cash. And you might find a checkbook in their glove box. So those two people did that. Then another two people would um, call the banks. Because if you have your social security card, that's all rights. Hey, I'm so-and-so. I need to find out what's in my account. Mm -hmm. And so we had two of those people. And then you had me, who was the stupid one of the litter. (laughs) (laughs) Two were watch-outs two checked bank accounts, mm-hmm. and two did the crime, the break-ins. And
0: you're the break-in.
1: I, they would write a check. Mm-hmm. I didn't touch oh, it. Oh, you're
0: the one to go cash it?
1: I went to go through the drive throughs mm-hmm. and cash it. Anything over $2,000, they really want a, a thumbprint or an
0: ID or something. And you were the no, one. No, I had the ID. You were the one that would do the thumbprint with a record? No,
1: underneath 2000 you didn't have to. They oh, just, okay. They would just Whatever. cash them. Gotcha. right? And when you're in the far lane of the drive-thru and you're shipping a check. They can't see. Any the ID, they can't see. Yeah. So we first started in uh, some state and then we went to, and we came back to Florida.
0: So wait, this is a gang of of robbers, basically. Stealing checkbooks, going through the drive-thru, and then cop and crack? This is me. No, no.
1: I was copping crack. You were the only one. I was the only one. <laughs> they were just stacking bills. <laughs> oh, they're just
2: normal criminals.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay. They were normal criminals. I was the crackhead doing the stupidest shit yeah. just so I can get money to spend by the end of the night getting yeah, more crack. There you go. <laughs> by the end of the trip, it was all gone. Of course. So I'm like calling them, let's go again. And they're like, no, it's too soon. I'm like, listen, we're going to go again. Fuck it. Okay, we'll go. I felt bad at this one bank because I remember, as messed up as I was, I remember being at this bank and feeling some type of way the day before. Mind you, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we're going from city to city to city to different banks, and we're just traveling. It was like an 8 hour day job, okay? Of course. And for every check, I got 300 bucks.
0: And you got to do it quick because by the time you rob the purse, you Why? have to start heading up to do the withdrawal. It was all
1: banks off the highway, okay?
0: Wow. How many banks would you hit in a day?
1: I, I don't remember. It-, <laughs> it was a good 10 plus. Wow. Okay. If not more. Mm-hmm. Because I hustled. How would. Yeah,
0: but it'd be really hard to break into a car hoping. Well,
1: they did that the night before. Okay. Oh, they did all gotcha. of that the night before so the or night... the morning up because the banks didn't open till 9 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Some banks opened up at 8. Yeah. But yeah, that okay. was all so done before. Okay, so the night before.
0: before, you're breaking into all the cars, getting as many checkbooks and IDs and socials as Correct. you can. Not me. Yeah,
1: them. them. And then they have, okay. And then by the morning- It's a good plan. They would give me, here's this check. We're going to follow. We're going to watch. Mm-hmm. I cash the check. I get out on the street. I give the money over. I get the next check. I follow them to the next bank. Hell yeah. I made a lot of money. I was sending money back home to my neighbor. Wow.
0: <laughs> what <laughs> an honorable thing to do for a crackhead.
1: <laughs> I was.
0: There you go.
1: You know, because that last trip, I didn't I save say, shit. always say, we're not all bad. <laughs> no, we're not all dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so anyway, long story short, I got six different cities who barricade me outside a drive-thru of the bank. I didn't have a good feeling with the day before Mm -hmm. with shotguns.
0: What do you mean six different cities?
1: So we were kiting checks all over the place. Yeah, but this happened six
0: times where they tried to barricade you in the drive-thru? No, 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 no.
1: So for whatever city or little county we were in, Mm -hmm. we did a few checks where now law enforcement was called from either somebody who got their car broken into or somebody who's. Did a fake check.
0: And they're on to you guys knowing that. They're on. Correct. Isn't it interesting that before you get arrested, you can feel it? It's crazy. It really is. We don't listen to that guy. Every time I've ever been arrested, I've had this voice or feeling of like something ain't right. Yeah, Yeah, Because it happens, you know, when you watch Bank Robber movie, they talk about it, you know, like in heat or something. But like there's been a lot of times where when I was using, you just get this feeling like something
1: ain't right. I had that feeling Mm -hmm. the night before I had partied and I partied with these two guys. And I remember one of the guys that part of the team came on, knocked on my door and says, listen, you need to get these two motherfuckers out of here. Mm -hmm. We got a job to do it. Eight o'clock, we're out. I remember these guys were tweaking. They couldn't handle their shit. The next morning comes eight. Eight o'clock, they're not out. I got these two guys from the team who fucking goony these guys. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I have a whole bunch of shit. I got hard, I got soft, I got syringes, I, I got some weed, I got a little alcohol, and we were blown up that night. And uh, you wouldn't get geeked out and paranoid? No you're crazy no there's times when i did but you could control it I, yeah no there was not time. control it But when i yeah. had people who were geeking out that kept me sane because okay. i was so like when
0: you're by yourself you when would... i'm
1: by myself i'm tweaking
0: carpet no. crawling no you don't carpet crawl no
1: you don't carpet crawl no my early early times of using you would i would but I had this gut wrenching feeling that you learned. I learned because I kept picking up kitty litter, <laughs> okay, and burning that shit. Yeah. Yes, I learned. Or pebbles, you know? Yeah. No, it's not even. I ain't doing that. Yeah, because
0: because they have all this stuff with Joe Biden talking about how he smoked parmesan and people think like like uh, joe biden's son has a memoir where he was smoking crack and he said like he had smoked parmesan cheese that was on the floor and people think that's like this crazy thing i was like that's not even terrible no. you smoke kitty litter that shit will fucking destroy your life oh my God, you smoke a piece in your it's crazy
1: <laughs> man i remember him imagine just...
0: doing that a couple times like you don't like, learn you <laughs> know it's the worst thing in the world but um yeah, I it remember kind of,
1: hitting a pipe and my char boy went straight to my throat. Oh, uh, <sighs> but I kept smoking. Yeah,
0: I would always fear that that would happen because sometimes it would get loose and times. come back a little bit, and I'd be like, Oh, shit, that was close. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine having a burning for I've people that also
1: put the hot end on
0: the wine lip. Yeah, uh, I've done that with the side too.
1: Crazy. So, this last time I had four or six different color cop cars.
0: And as I'm pulling... Oh, so you're saying that you have four different cops from four different counties or states.
1: Correct. As I'm coming out, because that's why they were holding me up at that bank.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We'll be right with you. Sorry for the wait. And I'm on the phone on this side going, I'm telling you, this don't feel right. Nah, it looks good. It looks good. You know, we got your back. I took off. As I turned... Without the money? Without the money. Yeah, you
0: had that feeling. They
1: came, and it was... Like this, out there, cars. And this time was the first time I had a wig on, okay? Mm -hmm. Because the color of the lady's hair on the ID. So you had to put a wig on. I had to put a wig on. Mind you, the night before, I took all the stuff out of the hotel. The powder, the hard, the pipe, the Mm. syringes. And you had them all on you? Oh, yeah. Those guns were at me, and I'm shaking, and I looked down. They said, hands up. And I looked down, and I remember before I went into the bank, I hit the pipe. I said, well, fuck it. (laughs) And I went like this. I'm holding it up with my hands up with it to my mouth, lighting the end of the pipe because they said, I'm going. Hands up. There you go. There you go. They took me out. They had a police officer come, a female police officer. You got anything? Yep, sure do. So I get taken down, and I went state. I am in Indianapolis. Mind you, It started over here. It mm-hmm. well, started in Indianapolis, but I got popped in Cincinnati. And I was sitting. The first week I slept, when I woke up, I didn't know where I was. Asked some people, the holding cell, had six girls, long and slim, nothing like Broward County, okay? <laughs> I'm like, where the fuck am I? And they tell me. I'm like, what state is that? And they tell me. Try to call my mom. She don't accept the phone. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, fuck. What did I get myself into? So, guard comes, I ask him what the charges were. I have 13 felonies on me. I'm like, what? Mind you, this whole week was nonstop, different banks, getting high every day. I don't think I slept. A couple of weeks later, my mom finally answered the phone. She was so happy that I got arrested yet again. And somewhere where I wasn't getting out anytime soon. Because now she could sleep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A couple weeks, I go to court. Indianapolis is a two-for-one state. What does that mean? <laughs> two-for-one. You get four years, you do two.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, fuck, I can do this shit. <laughs> Stand on my head. Mm-hmm. Because in Florida...
0: You do like 80%, 80% of, your percent percent of your time. Yeah,
1: Federal... You do eighty mm-hmm. percent. So when I'm there and I'm like, "Oh, fine," something happened during that stint. I had some girl.
0: When you have charges in another state, do they? St- oh, yeah. They still come over on because oh. Florida has a point system, but those points still add up. had a others-
1: fifty-two. Gotcha. I had an insane point score.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At first, I didn't think, but then. There was a girl who got popped doing the same thing, and she was from Florida. So
0: Florida's just a scammers' haven. We just, just yeah, they're they're trying to
1: make, and and that's with the drugs today. Mm -hmm. You couldn't pay me enough to smoke some crack today, because it's laced with something. Yeah, it's crazy, or it isn't. Okay, people are just out to make money, whether you die or not. Okay, it's not like back in the eighties. You got Mm -hmm. some really good shit. Yeah, you can only imagine. (laughs) Mm. So she came in the pod. Now, this is a whole new look of being incarcerated for me. The only way I can describe it was it looked like a scene of locked up raw, where it's in this big pod, and it's all raw iron bars and bunks straight down. I see these, I got these 13 charges. I'm like, fuck, if I got to do two years, it is what it is. I, I, I'm so far away from home. My mother won't answer the phone. Um, my kids fucking hate me. I stole everything of value from my children when they lived with my mother. She couldn't even kick me out of her house because I had two minor children there. Okay? Mm. She couldn't even evict me. Wow. Yes. She was pissed. So all these uh, charges happened and a couple weeks, maybe a month later, a couple months later, I get some guy that the court sent and he was an outside attorney. He was a federal attorney. I'm like, why why are you here? He says, there's a conflict of interest. I said, why are you a federal attorney and not a state attorney? He goes, oh, you didn't know? I said, know what? He says, you have federal charges. I said, why? He said, because you went state to state. I said, what? He said, yeah. They offered me a proffer session. A proffer session is where you snitch. And you have to take their word for whatever is presented. And 90% of the time is like... Yeah,
0: so when you snitch, they don't say, hey, if you snitch, this is what you're going to get. It's just like you snitch and we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. And if it pans out... We will advocate to the judge for you. I said, I got nothing to lose. I started going, taking my GED. I started going to the meetings in this place. Just anything to get out of this pod. Mm -hmm. 150 women. If you were dope sick, they put you in this pod. If you had mental health, they put you in this pod. If you were schizophrenic, they put you in this pod. It was a population of all sorts. Wow. And I've never experienced that because Broward County. They keep you pretty separated. They kept you separated. Mental health, you went to this pod. Detoxing, you went to this pod. You're fine. Crack, you ain't detoxing. You're going to GP, you know. So I never experienced that, and it was an eye-opener for me. And I remember seeing this book called Battlefields of the Minds. It's by Joyce Myers. I started reading that book. And it gave me such an eye opener to the way my mind was thinking. And I recommend this book to anybody.
0: Never heard of uh, check oh it. Oh my out. God, you
1: gotta check it out.
0: Battlefield of the Minds?
1: Battlefield of the Minds from Joyce Meyer. She's a pastor, pastor? minister, okay. or something like that. But she's on DB and shit. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, started reading that. And this is where the acceptance started to really resonate with me. I did the crime. There's been crimes I haven't gotten caught for. You know what? Let's just go. Guy says, listen, the attorney. His name was Rick Ford. I remember this guy. He says, listen. don't." Public
0: defender or you got an attorney?
1: No. He was an outside attorney because there was a conflict of interest for the PD office since there was another girl from Florida doing the same thing. Gotcha. She accepted the public defender that day, and I said, I'm not accepting nothing. I want to I resonate these charges you were putting at me. Mm-hmm. So, since she accepted, they had to get an outside attorney for me. And
0: did you, so you didn't snitch? Oh, I did. You did? Okay. Oh, yeah. I did. So, that's what you meant when you said so you have nothing to lose? It? I
1: have nothing to lose. So, when I told them, when they said, okay, so Cincinnati, Ohio, you went to this bank, I said, listen, I'm an addict. I was on crack for two weeks straight. I just remember banks. They led me to it. Who's they? Listen, I went with six people. We started in that state. We mm-hmm. were like, "What?" I said, "Yeah, we stayed at this hotel, under my name. Legit. ID. Under my name. Check it out. I'm walking with six other people. Who are these people?" I couldn't tell you I was recruited. I don't know these people from Adam. We all just wanted to get in on the hustle. So that now I tell them the story about Cincinnati, Ohio. And they're like, you're kidding me. I said, no, we stayed at this hotel. Look at surveillance. I'm telling you, I was not alone. They wanted to catch me in a conspiracy. They wanted to put me away. Mm -hmm. So I told my attorney, we went to the state attorney, federal state attorney, and he said, listen, tell them everything because they think it started here and it started there. So I told them everything. I said, what are you guys going to do for me? He says, nothing. I'll tell you what, though. If you tell me these things and we check it out and it pans out right, we'll see what we can do. I said, I don't get nothing in writing? Oh, no. He had to be, he was younger than me. He had to be about 25, 30 years old, this prosecutor. Mm -hmm. He was a dick. Ego-driven, you know, whatever. I'm like, you know, I'm like, whatever. I'm telling you all. So I told him where I was recruited. I told him, we've done this trip, not just this year, but we did it prior years and da-da-da-da-da. And I was back and forth once a month to court. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I got friends with the bailiff, one of the guards, uh, per se. He was a marshal. And I think his name was Bill Williams, something like that. And he would always talk to me, give me extra bags, because at lunchtime they break and I have to go back into the holding cell. And, you know, I got to befriend this guy. And and he was like, man, you got a crazy fucking story. I'm like, I'm an addict. I'll do whatever it takes. And back and forth, back and forth, and I told one person about the proper, and it went viral that I'm a fucking snitch. I must got in fights. You're a fucking snitch. You know, you ain't loyal to the game. You know, you're a piece of shit. People spit my food in the shower. They fuck. It was crazy. 2010. October 6th, I appeared to be sentenced 12 years. And I don't know what it was, but they woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're going to court, Renee. I didn't even see my court date. I'm in Kentucky, great place, great food, home cooked meals, biscuits and gravy. And I gave all my shit away clothes. My mom started sending me money. My kids were writing me letters. I was getting pictures about my kids and I gave everything away. They said, "No, you're coming back. I said, I don't know what it is, but I hope I don't. If I do, I'll just buy the shit over. And I went in and it was this moment of clarity. It was this at a moment experience where I am up here looking down I'm in this federal courthouse, amazing, beautiful architect courthouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I remember my attorney talking to the judge. I have this right now in my car. He says, Who is this woman? And he mentioned her name. I said, That's my mother. He goes, Did you know she wrote the court's letter? I said, No, I didn't, sir. You know, my mom pretty much disowned me. I mean, she's, you know, she talks to me because, you know, she's taking care of my two kids. And you're 45? 46. 46 and years old. I turned 46 in jail and whatever it was. So he goes, Well, I'm going to let you read it. And he hands it to the bailiff. The bailiff comes over and I'm shackled. And I start reading it. And he goes, Ma'am, and I look up. He goes, no, I want you to read it out loud. Wow. Everything I thought my mother thought of me because of the mindset and the drugs Mm -hmm. was the furthest from the truth. After this, I'll show you the letter. I'm a good mother. I'm a hardworking woman that I am loved by her and my two boys but when I am under the influence of alcohol and drugs, I'm not a good person. If there's any consideration in you helping my daughter since we are so far away from home, we greatly appreciate it. And it said somewhere in there, please let my daughter know that her family loves her and we are there in spirit. And it's crazy because she addressed the judge a certain way. Three months prior, I wrote the judge a letter and I addressed it the same way she did. So they were fighting. The judge is like, well, this is a crime. This, is, this has been a crime. And it's, uh, I forget the term that they use, to, that she ranks this amount of time. And they're like, it's only her. They wanted me to take the fall for everything. Mm-hmm. And they said, listen, this is what she did. It's wrong, but this is what she did. But there was also other people involved. This is where the state prosecutor chimed in and said, Your Honor, if it wasn't for her information on how the crime worked, we would have no idea. We have made arrests. We have found out how it starts because if a car gets broken into, you better check their bank account mm-hmm. because now their ID, their checkbook, and their Social Security is gone. Right away, you ask that person, where's their bank? Call their bank, cut it off, and we've made arrest. We'd be nowhere with this crime, mm-hmm. and it is an insane crime that's going on with people coming from different states because our technology isn't as good, and you know we're not that quick – when there's a bad check being cashed a good check but not the right person and this was going on and, and I can remember this feeling like am I hearing this and and the judge is like there's no way I'm releasing her and there was a, and then the judge says listen I got to take a break he hits the gavel my marshal comes over and takes me back to the holding I'm like what the fuck just happened he's like I don't know about a half hour later, I get pulled back up, and I hear the judge say, "Fine. I agree with both of you, and I'm going to go ahead and give her the benefit of the doubt. Time served: two years federal probation and a two thousand dollar restitution," and slammed gavel. Damn! I don't know where the fuck I am. You're going to release me? I don't have no clothes. I'm in a jumpsuit because since the crime was so bad that when you are sentenced to prison, they destroy all your property. I do not know that. Oh, yeah. They just destroy your ID. There's no reason for it. You're going to be serving 12 years, right? So they destroyed my ID. My mom and this attorney have been talking. Mm-hmm. My mom tried to get me a flight to go home, but I had no ID. I had to take a 27-hour Greyhound bus ride back home. Jesus. My attorney put me in a halfway facility for the night. I called my mom, and she was like, what? You're kidding me. I'm like, no, Mom. I met with the probation officer in the morning who transferred my stuff to Florida, took the bus ride the day I got home oh, uh, when I was at the terminal, My attorney took me from the halfway, and he hands me this envelope. This is so true. He hands me an envelope. He said, here you go. I said, what is this, my bill? And he says, no. He says, open it up. He gave me $50. Hmm. He says, don't you come back here. There's open charges here. That if you come back before the time runs out, you will go back to prison. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to see you again. First thing I did was go buy a pack of cigarettes. I got on the bus. First bus stop I got off, I wanted to get high. But the only thing I was thinking about was a cheeseburger. (laughs) I wanted a cheeseburger and a Coke, okay? (laughs) Um, I made it home. My mother picked me up at 1 o'clock in the morning, footloaded off fucking uh, Greyhound Station. And the rest is history. I got a probation officer. Who was a hard ass bitch? I don't know, it was because she kind of had a thing for her. (laughs) She was sexy. I figured, damn, I'm going to listen to her. But she was hard. She was on my ass. And now, mind you, I'm 13 months, abstinent. I come home, I'm on house arrest. House arrest. My mother's taking me back and forth to uh, probation and meetings and whatnot, and I think I got 18 months clean, and I was doing shady shit. I was calling Johns when my mom was at work, and she told me when I she picked me up that night, she says, you got one shot. You fuck up. I will never let you in my house again. I said, Okay. My mother's my biggest... Staying clean but still tricking. Not, no, no. I was doing shady shit. I mm. wasn't tricking. I call up a John and say, I need some money and I'll catch with you later. Oh, and Robin? Yeah. They give me the money. Mm-hmm. And they'd be blowing up my phone. Hey, when can <laughs> we look up? And I think I got like $2,500 and I didn't know what to do with it. Got all this fucking money. I can't get high. I'll violate probation. So I said, fuck it. I got high. I violated probation. They put me back into spectrum. Hmm. This is where the story gets really good. So, of course, it was against the judge's best interest to give me time served. But since the prosecutor and my attorney fought for me, he gave me the benefit of doubt. My mom retired with the federal courts here in Fort Lauderdale. And I believe she was with Judge Kahn. She was with Judge Kahn and Judge Gonzalez for 25 years. Hmm. They watched my mom struggle, suffer, never eat, lose weight, very strained on her face. My sons would go out to lunch with my mom and Judge Kahn, or my son would go to visit his grandma, or grandma would take him to the courthouse and introduce and. So when I violated, came clean, and I said to my probation officer, I says, listen, take me to treatment. I want to go back because I had backup time if I violated. She's like, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll get you into spectrum yet again, and the judge will sign off on it. I said, okay, when do you want me to go? First thing Monday. I go Monday. She calls me up. She goes, the judge wants to see you. I said, who's the judge? She goes, Judge Khan. I like you, motherfucker. I got to face my mother's judge. Does he even know me? My son went with me. The judge knew me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Once again, I have my probation officer advocating for me. And the state attorney agreed with my probation officer. I was like, how does it happen? She should have been... Here for 12 years. But she got an opportunity to change her ways.
0: And she fucked it up. Again. Again. And again. And again. Yeah.
1: I said, I'll tell you what, you come back in front of me with another violation, you will be going back. And I stuck to my guns and I got deep into recovery. And I was my mother was taking me to every meeting. I remember being invited to go out to IHOP with like Mm -hmm. 10 people. And I ran out to the car. Mind you, I'm 46, 47. I'm like, Mom, can I go to dinner? It's like, with who? And I told <laughs> her, I said, All those people over there. She goes, Where are you going? I said, I hop right there in Plantation. She goes, Sure. I've lived in and out of jail in and out of prison for so long that when I came into the rooms, I really had to start learning how to eat. How to talk, how to walk, how to dress, how to wash my ass, how to clean my feet. Because I was so used to street life. I wouldn't bathe for weeks on end. You know the overpass there on Peters Road by the high school? Mm -hmm. You could find me under that overpass. And I had a beautiful home to live in. Hmm. But I chose not to live there because I wanted to get high. Heritage Park. I used to sleep in that park. I used to jump the fence at night just to have a safe place to sleep. I did what I was supposed to do. I've been off federal probation October 6th was seven years. I completed it successfully. Congratulations. Yeah, I hugged to the hips of the right people. i really dug deep 2012, I'm 47 now. I relapsed two years later, 2014. Less than twenty four hours, my misery came back tenfold. I went back to my home group of after after picking up two years with my whole family there. Mm-hmm. I picked up a white key tag.
0: So just you know to make it clear, so you were clean for two years. in two thousand twelve. You stay clean for two years. You use one time, and then you stay clean again. Now you got it, seven years.
1: The twenty seventh. On the twenty seventh, got to this have Seven years. That's awesome. Yes, it's crazy. It's crazy.
0: How was it like? Uh, Staying clean the first couple of years,
1: struggle. Mm-hmm. It wasn't comfortable for me. I didn't think I'd stay the first few years, and as it shown to be true, I really thought I could smoke one.
2: <laughs>
1: Nobody would know but me. That's not true. It was a reservation of mine because I thought one day I'll be able to use successfully. The lie that the addiction tells us. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's crazy because I believed my lies for years. You know, it's not necessarily the drugs. It's everything else too. I had to start over. I'm 47 years old. My kids can't stand me. My mother's giving me one more shot. And a beautiful condo. And I remember, after my relapse and coming back, I remember, like I felt like she was setting me up. She left the car keys out. She left her purse out. Just these are different days. She left some money on the counter. I swear this bitch was setting me up. I said, when? you know Somebody told me back in the day, in and out of facilities. I asked Mr. Greg, when will my mother ever trust me? And he goes, how long have you been using? I said, what? He said, yeah. I said, 37 years. He goes, that long or more? I said, Mm -hmm. what? He goes, oh yeah. And then again, she may not ever trust you. So when that resonated with me, Like, now I don't have to prove shit to her because she probably will never trust me. I needed to just focus on Renee. I needed to seek therapy. Yeah, a lot of
0: times we feel like, well, I can't get better until they do X, Y, and Z. Or how am I supposed to get better if they don't trust me yet? And you realize that, you know. It's not about them. Yeah, you have no control over them. The serenity prayer. My sponsor used to say, like, I don't sponsor your dad. Right. Your family's not in recovery. They don't have to get this. They don't got to work no spiritual principles. No, you do. Yeah, they could fuck uh, be the worst parents in the whole world for the rest of your life.
1: It wouldn't change a thing. I remember. So this is a tradition in my home. Every Sunday, it started off on a Wednesday night. My two sister-in-laws, my best friend from high school, a friend, and my mother. Just girls' night with just the kids. Every Wednesday. And throughout the years, through my addiction, I stopped showing up on those nights. We would rotate with who cooked. It's been a tradition for 35 years, maybe 30 years. Now it's on Sundays, and it has been for the last 15 years. It's at my house every Sunday at 5 p.m., the girls. When I got out of treatment the second time after my... Um, violation of probation I did 90 days because I was federal I couldn't just do the 30 days mm-hmm. I came home on a Friday Sunday I cooked dinner and I felt this awful feeling when everybody was sitting down at the table shooting the breeze and eating nobody's drinking And I didn't say nothing, but my mom has wine every night. I know my sister-in-law, she drinks wine. She's a functional alcoholic, multi-million dollar coffee company. Mm -hmm. She can do that. My neighbor always has mixed drinks. My other neighbor, she has wine. I know this. Nobody was drinking. The second Sunday comes along and I'm like, okay, now I got to say something. Because if I don't use my voice, I won't get the answers. If I don't ask questions, I won't know. I'm like, so what is it? My mom hasn't drank since I've been home before the VOP. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't you drink wine? Why aren't you drinking wine? And I said it to the table. And I'm like, Renee, because we respect what you're trying to do for yourself we can have a good dinner and a nice evening without drinking we can go home and drink when we're done (laughs) that was a sense of and i can't describe it but they loved me
0: yeah that's what i was thinking like that's love you know people are supporting you
1: supporting me in all my affairs like it's not their disease it's mine But they're willing to to help me and show respect of the struggle that I've been fighting for for 37 years. That we really don't deserve. No, we don't. They could
0: be like, fuck you. If you don't like it, get the fuck Fuck out. out. (laughs) We're
1: drinking. My kids. My kids are grown. They're amazing boys. Um, My oldest took some bad pills in December. It was the most darkest moment of my recovery. Thank God I have a great sponsor, called me every day. Mm. She's got 30 plus years, my grand sponsor and my great grand sponsor. I don't talk to, but they're powerful women. Mm-hmm. They're amazing women, 30 plus years. Joey B has, I think, 32 and Philly T has like 34. Oh, that's cool. I know. Her. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Amazing, strong women. Have I been consistent in my recovery lately? Absolutely not. Do I go to meetings? Absolutely. Do I call my sponsor every day? Absolutely not. Have I? Absolutely not. My personal life right now is a shit show. Um, We're on this daily chat of gratitude list. I make sure I'm on that list Monday through Friday. On the weekends, I'm all over the place. I got two granddaughters, 10 and 6 who have never seen me stick a needle in my neck. They love their grandma. That's cool. Right. So my son in December went missing. He got carjacked in Jacksonville, woke up in the backseat, tied up. He winded up two weeks later in a field, called me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I
0: remember there was a missing person. I had it all on Facebook.
1: I remember I was told on a Wednesday, I reported it to Fort Lauderdale, and they're like, He's not missing. He just does not He's grown. He has no mental health. He has no substance. He just don't want to be around. His phone was active. His Facebook was active. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but when his friends were calling me, we got a problem. Mm-hmm. He called me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, crying. I'm like, where the fuck are you? Let's call the cops. He's like, no, no, just come and get me. My mother is in the other room. I'm like, where the fuck are you? And I hear him talking to, I'm like, whose phone are you calling from? He's like, some store. I'm like, ask the guy, where are you? My granddaughter's laying next to me, not his daughter, my other son. I'm surprised she didn't wake up. My mother comes in. She's like, oh. she's like, why does it go? She's I like, like, yeah. So I hear him ask this clerk where he was at. And clerk goes, I don't know. I just come to work. It's like, what do you mean, dude? So we finally get the address. I Google it. He's five hours away. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Brandon, if I can't call the cops and if I get in my car, you better not leave. No, mom, I promise, I swear, just come and get me. Please come and get me. I'm scared. I'm scared. I said, why don't you want me to call the cops? He says, because I don't know if they're alive. I'm like, who? It's like the two guys who got in my car and beat me up. And I'm like, where were you? I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't make sense. No, I told some stories of my fucking dad. So I got half my brain in mother mode and I got half my brain in active addiction mode and I'm all over the place. I call his brother. I said, Alex, because him and his uh, now fiance transport horses from Southwest ranches up to uh, Ocala, Tennessee, all those places. And I knew he was on a trip. I said, Alex, where are you? He's went and checked his last location that was searched on his phone. I had some tech guy all up in his shit, his email, his cash app, and Mm -hmm. this and that. So he goes, I said, here's the address. Put it in your phone. He was an hour and a half away from him. So I wait an hour and a half. I'm like, you got him? He's like, no, we're pulling in. I'm like, okay, how does he look? Does he have blood on him because he thinks, you know, he hurt somebody. I hear Alex leave the car. Erica picks up the phone and he goes, he's not here. I said, what? I said, check around the building. And all of a sudden she says, oh, no. I said, what? What's wrong? And she goes, he looks bad. I said, he got blood on him? She's like, he's filled with blood. I'm like, you're kidding me. And then all of a sudden Alex gets on the phone. I got him. Click. They're MIA. I wait an hour. I'm pacing, I'm not sleeping now.
0: They didn't call you to explain?
1: Finally, they answered. I said, what the fuck is going on? He said, mom, he's not good. I said, what happened? He goes, I really don't know, but he said he was on some pills. I promised him he's sleeping in the backseat. I promised him I wouldn't say anything, but I think more happened to him. I said, okay, just get here. I was taking my granddaughter to school. I knew I had some time before they arrived. And as I'm coming down to get back to my home, they're next to me. And I see him in the back seat. We pull up. He gets out of this car. He stinks of urine and feces. I just want to get him in the house. I hugged him. His sneakers were filled, not the the sticker type stuff. Now, I put in a missing persons report here in Fort Lauderdale Mm -hmm. and Of course, I had to wait 72 hours. This was a Wednesday. I had to go to work and run group Saturday. I hit my knees and I cried. And everybody was like, oh, this is not the Renee we know. I'm like, I am so sorry. And I composed myself. I says, my kid's missing. I want to get high, but I know I can't get high. And they're like, why are you here? I said, because I have a commitment. And I'm a woman of my word today. I said, I don't know where he is. I just got to keep my faith that he's going to be found and everything's going to be okay. And everything did turn out. We found his car two weeks later in Jacksonville um, in some abandoned parking lot. He got tickets on it, he had hmm. Sun Pass, and it was a shit show. He, we brought it back home. And just the other week, my youngest son, He's on probation. He's almost done. He's going for his hardship. He's uh, on probation, and and he's got a girl who's got a car, who's got a truck, who's got another truck, and, you know, he thinks he can just drive. No big deal. And I would yell at him, don't drive. Mom, they don't want to listen. Mm-hmm. You talk to, you you're blue in your face. They don't want to hear it because I can't throw stones at glass houses because of my past. Fine. You don't want to hear me? I get a call. Alex got arrested. We're in Hamilton County. What do you want me to do about it? Oh, I got to bail him out, so bail him out. I said, but he's got a violation of probation. You can't bail him out. Mm-hmm. They released him. What, what the fuck does that happen? That wouldn't happen to me. Yeah. Hamilton County released him after eight days after the bond was paid. Mm-hmm. So he reported. So his P.O. wasn't there on Friday and... Uh, Monday, he's got to check in, and I'll probably go to jail until the VAOP gets. Uh, How old is he? Twenty-five. My other one's twenty-seven. Um, my twenty-seven-year-old has my ten-year-old granddaughter, and my youngest has my soon-to-be seven-year-old.
0: How does it feel like? Um, like I know for me, when I deal with issues like this, I get a little glimpse of what like I put my own family through.
1: That for me, that that goes hand in hand. You know what my son said to me when my youngest, Alex, was having a whole bunch of problems out at fucking 136 Trailer Park? Yeah. Yeah. He's slinging and getting arrested, and his daughter's in the mix of it. And I get called. He's got guns all over the place. I'm like, and I call Brandon because, Brandon, your brother, call your brother. I don't know what the fuck going on I goes, Mom, you know what to do. You have learned how to deal with shit like this. Grandma didn't have a clue. But you are prepared. Mm-hmm. You'll go in there. You'll do what you need to do. Get Darla out of there and call me later. <laughs> you know? Um, well wow. It's been a struggle with both these kids. I mean, they're good boys. They like the hustle. They like the quick lick. Um But they know not to come in my arena that way. Mm -hmm. Last night I was out with everybody. Went to Longhorn. I invited everybody. My son just got out of jail. Last time we were there, he just got out of jail. Flagler County, you know, fentanyl, crack, prescription drugs, all of that. That was his first violation. He did 120 days and came back. And now he's been good ever since, this stupid driving when he shouldn't have. Mm My mother never trusted me. My mother trusts me with her life today. Like I said, my mother is my biggest cheerleader. My mother now speaks of me to her friends. Where my mother, because of the era that she was born, he didn't talk about shit like this. When my boss told me, because you know I work part-time with you, I have a full-time job, which is crazy. How the fuck did I get where I'm at (laughs) today? You know, it's truly a blessing. You know, you asked me, what did I, I my first sponsor said, what do you, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Give me five things. I could only come up with three. And that was my mom to trust me, my kids to love me, and first and foremost, to be clean. (laughs) I got so much more that I wasn't even looking for. I have a career. I got my driver's license back. I'm a habitual driver, non so suspended license. My, mm-hmm. my son's following right in my footsteps. Mm-hmm. You know, I got the car, my dream, my dream. I do well. I work for a nonprofit agency called Keystone Halls. We house homeless veterans. That's awesome. With yeah, substance. I've spoken there before. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I did. You I forgot did. about that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, they're all vets. They must love you. Right. They think they think I'm in the military <laughs> I'm like, oh, but step foot I, You know, I wish because you guys get some benefits And, you know, stuff like that But they come in That's all cool. aspects
0: Let me ask you before we wrap up um, I know you said that you couldn't stay clean for a long time Because of the trauma that was never dealt with um, Do you think that this time You started to deal with the trauma Or is it more of I just didn't want to go to prison The programs that are working for me What the combination? Therapy Therapy. You went to therapy.
1: I went to therapy for many years, and mm-hmm. I finally, um, nine and a half years ago, at the last facility, Spectrum, I worked with a counselor called Miss Beth. You know Mike Davis, right? Of course. Okay, Mike Davis and I know each other wow. from way back when. Wow. Yes. Okay. Matter of fact, Mike Davis got me a scholarship for my um, my schooling for my C.A.P.
0: Oh, that's cool. At Ocean Breeze. Yeah, me and Mike uh, were text together.
1: No shit. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Mike have a history and Mike knows uh, Mr. Greg and uh, you know all of that. And it's crazy because I got this really amazing counselor, therapist, Miss Beth. She came with that was never at me this way because it was always in my face and you you need to just, you know, stop getting in your way and and she spoke with me with compassion. She's like, "Renée, you got you got all this trauma." Like, this shit ain't trauma. This is what I put myself through. She goes, "No, go back to your childhood." Like I'm not going back there. I resolved that shit. That shit don't bother me. She broke me open, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, the weight—not at the moment when she got some of these things out of me from my childhood trauma from my father with my brother. And, you know, she had me write a letter to my dad, and I was angry, and it was 10 pages long. And, you know, she's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, what the fuck? You you got me crying like, you know, a baby. She's like, no, no, we're going to, you know. She walked me through some therapy. She goes, well, if you you bury it, you want to treasure it. If you burn it, you want to forgive it and let it go. I said, let's burn it. (laughs) You know, I love my dad. I found out that my dad was molested, was forced by his father to have sex with Mm. his sisters. Wow. Because my grandfather, who I've never met, was an alcoholic. Wow. She helped me see that. And through me using my voice and asking questions to my aunts, I was like, yeah, it happened to us too.
0: Hmm. I wish I could say this is the first time I've heard of forced incest, but I've heard of it so many times that, because the first time I heard it, I was like, this is insane. I've never, like, I didn't know stuff like this happened. It happens. Because we have a lot of shit. We don't talk about it. Yeah. It's we don't talk super about taboo, that. whatever.
1: Yeah. You, you just don't. You deal with it. No, man. I, I was killing myself slowly, you know, real slow. I was too much. I, I've tried committing suicide. Try to, well, you. Mm -hmm. I pussied out and cut my wrist. I didn't go deep enough because part of me wanted to really live but didn't know how. Um, I'm an amazing person today. You know, my past doesn't define who I am today. It did in the early recovery because I couldn't get through some shit. I was only able to get through this shit with the guidance and the love and the compassion from a therapist, from a counselor, from amazing women that I didn't hang out with women. I was a tomboy. I hung out with dudes. Mm -hmm. And people used to hate me. The girls used to hate me for that. But I found out through my sponsor, too, that women are the most powerful individuals and when they can solely allow themselves to grow and blossom and get the support and the guidance that they need, you'll go places. Now I'm not talking places, a new career. I'm talking places in your mind that that helps you really be at peace. I am at peace. Life shows up for me. I've taken this exam fucking six times. I just failed it again. Which one? Uh, CAC. mm -hmm. Fucking international. I don't know what it is, but you know what? It's called perseverance. I'm going to pass it eventually. Mm -hmm. I know people who have taken it back in the fucking 20 years ago. It's not the same, but I'm not going to give up. Just like my recovery. There's many times I want to use... There's many times I think about getting high. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm an addict till the day I die. And you know what? If I don't pick up that first one, the struggle will be there. If I don't reach out and use my voice and call my sponsor or call some support, I got people in my world today that are all about recovery. So if somebody said to me years ago, Mr. Greg, it's no matter how far away you get from your disease, when you make that turn, it's gonna be right in front of your face. <laughs> yeah. And there's some shit that really resonates with me. You know, I keep my program very simple. I don't work a perfect program as you just as I just shared. But as long as I don't pick up, and when I'm in that mindset, I know how to pick up the phone. I know how to share it in the meeting. I had to switch shit up, that's why I got the new spot and not new. She's going on four years with me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it's crazy where I'm at today. You know, and, and, and i it's crazy. I met you nine, and, nine years ago mm-hmm. over at St. Francis midnight meeting. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I knew you through some coworkers, mm-hmm. and I just knew of you. When you hug your hips to the right people, you'll get asked to share your story. And when these people watch you from afar... You know, I spoke at your place. Mm-hmm. Shay, remember Shay? Yeah, Shay yeah, yeah. called OBI. me and said, hey, it's a new place. Can you come <laughs> speak to me? I said, bitch, wow. I'm working. She's like, oh. I said, okay, when? Where? Wow. She goes, today, noon. I went. And she called me a week later. I go, uh-oh, what did I do? Why are you calling me again? She's like, no, somebody wants, the owner wants to meet you. Mm-hmm. And I saw you and we just, it's.
0: You yeah, know, it's crazy. Yeah, You've been there right? since you're one of the longest-standing employees. You opened when? Two thousand sixteen, June.
1: June seventh.
0: Maybe June twentieth.
1: Okay, I believe I started August seventh.
0: Okay, that's crazy. Yeah, amazing. Rocking and rolling. It's been
1: such an amazing, amazing. Thank you. you. Know, no, thank you, because I get to see, I get to see that your shit ain't getting no different.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: getting worse. Too many of them are dying because they want to do it their way. I've tried it my way
0: for 27
1: years to try to do it my way.
0: I tell people all the time, like, you don't see old heroin addicts no more. No. In the 70s, you saw people 60 years old been shooting dope for 20 years.
1: Yeah, but the shit that's coming in nowadays.
0: Yeah, you got a three, four years in you. That's it.
1: You got people doing fentanyl, shooting fentanyl. Who does that? (laughs) <laughs> because that's the new world today out there in, in the drug life, you know. You know, a lot of people don't smoke crack that much. They're doing yeah. meth, fentanyl. And, but it's
0: opiates, yeah.
1: And opiates, yeah, and alcohol. Yeah. And I say this to, to many people. Alcoholics have it tougher than us addicts.
0: Oh, it's the worst drug out there.
1: No, it's socially accepted. It's legal. It's in every fucking store you go in. Mm-hmm. You know at least for me i had to seek and find i had some dull time there (laughs) you know yeah i wasn't much of a drinker but i drank i wasn't much of a a pill person but i took pills you know i got a couple yet i don't want to
0: well i appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story uh hell does have an exit
1: thank you so much appreciate it thank you love you
0: love you too This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.